Hello, and welcome to the Subject to Improvement podcast. I am your host, Susanna Margeson, and I am a crisis leadership coach. And what that kind of means, I finally figured this out, is that I coach people who are in leadership positions but are also facing crises. Whether that crisis is a workplace crisis or whether it's a personal crisis, I am your girl. And I am very, very experienced in getting people through this. But I'm also using this podcast to help my existing clients and those who are maybe not yet clients, or maybe just want some insights, tips, or maybe something to listen to while they're on their morning commute. But this is meant to be my way of helping to share some insights that I have and also to help you prevent some mistakes that I made because I really think we are all subject to improvement. And One area in which I have definitely improved is with managing office politics. Now, when I first started my job, I was not very good at this. Admittedly, I was actually maybe horrible at office politics. And I think a lot of us are when we first start because there isn't a course in how to manage this kind of thing, or certainly there wasn't when I was in school. And so we sort of employ the same tactics that we used in the schoolyard or even at school or in other areas that we're used to. And I was not used to a corporate environment So as a result, I screwed a lot of things up. So what I have done now that I have learned those lessons, and actually, if I don't mind saying so myself, become pretty good at office politics, I have come up with a list of 10 do's and don'ts for managing and navigating office politics. So without further ado, let's get started. So I'm going to start with don't number one. Don't ignore the fact that office politics exist and don't refuse to play the game. So one thing I have seen is I've seen people who say, you know what, I'm not going to engage in this. I think engaging in office politics is smarmy. And the reality is, is that office politics exist whether you acknowledge them or not. Like office politics essentially refers to the phenomenon of how we interact with each other in an office. And one of my clients actually put this brilliantly the other day. She said, you know, organizations are just people, right? Like they're just a collection of people. And when you get a collection of people together, whether it's on the parent teacher association or whether it's in an office or whether it's like in another volunteer environment, whenever you get a group of people together, there are always going to be politics because people are going to have to interact with each other and they're going to have to decide how to make decisions. So ignoring that reality can kind of set you up to fail from the outset because it can send a message that you might not intend to your peers. It might send the message that I don't give a shit about any of you and I don't care about this organization or what we're trying to accomplish. It can also send a message to your peers that maybe they should be a tiny bit dubious of you. So one thing that I've seen happen a lot, especially recently for some reason, is people will come to me and they'll say, you know what? I remained silent. I just didn't engage in this. I rose above and I just decided not to engage in office politics and do my own thing. The problem with that approach is that people will people don't like silence. People will often fill any gaps that you create themselves. And it's it's a human brain thing. We all do it. So if you're not engaging, if you're not allowing people to get to know you, then they're going to come to their own conclusions by themselves without any input from you. And you might not like those conclusions. So instead, here is office politics. Do number one, engage respectfully 
in the game. Show interest in other people and their goals and also contribute to discussions. Like just demonstrate that you care. Like even if you're not making plays, even if you're not making moves to get ahead, just showing that you care about other people as their whole selves or showing that you care about what they want to achieve will take you very, very far. So let's move on to don't number two. Don't assume that your actions will speak for themselves. This is an assumption that I have fallen into before. And again, this sort of goes back to silence, right? And our discomfort with silence and how people will fill in those gaps. For one thing, a lot of people do good work and they hope that other people will notice and then get really discouraged when they don't notice or when they're passed over for things like promotions because they haven't blown their own horns. So that brings me to the do. Do try to be as transparent as possible. And that might mean that you're going to be transparent about some of the successes that you have. That also might mean that you're going to be transparent about some of the decisions you've made, which show up through your actions. And again, your actions are often, I shouldn't say again, because I didn't repeat, I didn't say this before, but your actions will often be a result of a decision that you've made. And if the decision that you've made is unclear, or if a decision that you've made is one that's likely to spark some anxiety with the people around you, then you might want to let people in on what your decision-making was, what factors you took into consideration and why you made that choice. So going back to the do, you want to be as transparent as possible or as reasonable in the circumstances as appropriate, but you also want to anticipate questions and anxieties that people might have about your decisions, particularly if you're a leader or particularly if you're in a situation where there's a lot of anxiety anyway, there's a lot of anxiety going around organizations right now. And so people might look at your actions and assume the worst. So if you can be transparent with people, that's going to help them trust you, especially if you're a leader or especially if you're in an organization where people are feeling a little bit insecure. That can really, really help people relax around you. And then you'll notice that people start to involve you in discussions. And then you are suddenly playing the office politics game without even trying, really. And it will go well for you if you do that. Don't, number three, don't believe everything you hear and don't get sucked into the drama. I totally fell for this one. I am one of those people that I used to think that if I was feeling something, if I was feeling an emotion, that emotion must be correct, right? Because if it wasn't correct, I wouldn't be feeling it. And the reality is, is that often those emotions can be based on thought errors. And when we hear something that sounds dramatic, or when we hear a rumor and we think, oh my gosh, this person is a threat to me, or this situation is a threat to me, or the things I want, it's very easy for our brains to just hijack our whole existence and our whole decision making and go off, go on this trail towards destruction because we get wrapped up in our emotions, we believe the drama, and then we act without thinking. So instead, this is do number three, try to remain objective and curious. And remember that The more emotion that somebody comes to you with, the more curious you want to be about it. So there is a principle in the principles of influence, a phenomena where people are likely to believe somebody if their emotions are really, really high. And it can be very persuasive if someone comes to you and they're full of passion and they're really, really activated by a situation. But if that's the case, that should be your first clue to be really, really calm and curious. Like take a deep breath and be like, okay, tell me more. You know, those questions in your brain that pop up that you might dismiss, ask them. 
But try to remain as objective as you can and stay curious. And again, the higher the emotions, the more you're going to want to be curious about what's behind them. Okay, don't number five. This one is an obvious one, and I'm pleased to say that I've never actually um, over like I've never actually done this on purpose. But I'm sure it happens to all of us inadvertently. But do not take credit for somebody else's work. And in fact, I'm going to go ahead and go straight to the do here. Instead, what you want to do is you want to share the love. You want to share the credit wealth. So even if you think somebody's contribution might have been small, to them it might have been a big deal. So express gratitude. Like this goes back to positive reinforcement, right? Like if you want people to continue helping you, then the best thing you can do is thank them when they do. That is the very best thing you can do. Show some gratitude. Recognize your colleagues' contributions. And here's the thing. Usually a win, if you have a win, it's usually a team effort. When you really peel back the layers and look at it, there's normally a team behind you if you've won. So if someone's giving you credit for something, one of the best things you can do is say, you know what, it was a team effort and I couldn't have done it without help from this person, this person, and this person. Even when when I used to run trials, Even the people that would bring me coffee in the morning, like sometimes somebody bringing me a coffee, I had this one assistant and she was so lovely and wonderful. And I remember one morning I was preparing for a hearing and she brought me a coffee and it was that gesture of kindness set me up for success for the rest of the day. And maybe it wasn't a big deal, but man, did it change my mindset. And oh my goodness, I was so grateful to her for doing that. And even those kind of tiny gestures can have a really, really big impact. So don't ignore the tiny gestures and make sure that you're recognizing people who help you out and share the wealth. Shine a light on other people's contributions. Because like I said, wins are rarely just a single person effort. The next don't, this is don't number one, two, three, four, five. Don't number five, do not overshare or overvent. I am somebody who is an oversharer. Like I am an open book. I'll be quite transparent with people. You know, if I'm having a bad day, you might know about it. I might tell you, hey, I'm having a bad day. Please don't take it personally. There's a difference though between being transparent and oversharing. And usually you can tell when you read the room and you see the other person start to get uncomfortable. Or maybe you start talking about something and you're like, oh shit, I need to ask this person to keep this quiet. And now I'm feeling some anxiety about telling the person that thing. When in doubt, don't repeat something. Keep your mouth shut. If you're not sure if it should be shared, then don't share it. Similarly with venting, a lot of us really recognize the cathartic or therapeutic value of venting. And there is, there is value to that. I've got clients who come to me and they just have a vent session for an hour and they feel a million times better after and they get clarity from it. There's a lot of value in that. But if you're venting to the wrong person or if you're venting at the wrong time or if you're venting a lot to the point that you are wasting other people's time, you're very quickly going to become irritating and annoying. And you're also going to become one of those people who potentially gets labeled as a drama person, you know, king, queen, person, human, drama human. And drama humans tend not to go extremely far in a lot of corporate workplaces because they're a lot of work. So what I would say instead, so this is do number five, is do share information, but share it deliberately. And one question I like to ask myself when I'm thinking about whether I want to share something is, what am I hoping the other person's going to do with this information? 
So when you're venting to somebody, you know, ask yourself, what am I hoping they're going to do with this? If this is just a me thing, if I'm venting to them and I'm asking them to let me vent to them, then maybe I want to be a little more considerate about how much time I'm using. And, you know, maybe I want to return the favor or express some gratitude. So be deliberate about the information that you share and then ask yourself, what's the other person supposed to do with this information? And if the answer is support me, then again, be careful about how much you're asking for that because everybody has a lot on their plate these days. Everybody is stressed. And if you're, you know, take, take, take and not giving back, then that's going to spell problems for you. Okay. Don't number six, don't assume everybody will remember a conversation the same way. This is so incredibly important because a lot of us will have conversations with people and we'll think, great, done. They understand everything. And the reality is, is that memory is fickle. Memory is very, very fickle. And what sticks in my brain might not stick in your brain. But the other thing about communication, and this is something that my husband taught me, and I'm so grateful that he did, is that communication can get blurred in lots of different ways. So if you think about it like a radio transmission, I might think something and then it might come out of my mouth a little bit differently than what I thought it did because of filtering and all of that stuff. Then there might be some issues with the transmission, right? So maybe, you know, there's um, maybe my Zoom cuts out and they only get half of the message, or maybe there's some kind of a language barrier. Maybe there's a perception barrier. Like maybe somebody is hearing me talk to them and they already don't trust me. So they already, their perception of me is already a tiny bit warped. They're going to receive that message maybe a little bit differently than I intended. And then they might process it differently from there. So there's a lot of ways communication can go wrong. So one of the do's that I have, and this is so helpful for people, is follow up and confirm your understanding in writing. If it's an important conversation, you're not going to want to do this for every single conversation because that's going to waste your time. But if it's an important conversation, follow up in writing And I want you to include one of my favorite sentences to include in all communication because it takes my ego out of it and it leaves the door open that I might be the one who misunderstood. So here's this sentence, okay? It is, please let me know if I have misunderstood anything or left anything out. That's what you're going to put in your confirmation email. And that means that if the other person gets it and they disagree with you, the onus is then on them to correct you. And what better way to deal with those disagreements right off the bat than right away? And because you've included that sentence of, if I've left anything out or misunderstood anything, you've made it easy and comfortable for the other person to come to you and correct any of that stuff because we all have human brains and human brains are not infallible and memory is not infallible. And I have seen people through litigation where they remember something and they are absolutely certain that something happened a certain way. And then we have recordings of it and they look back and it's not the same thing that they remember. And that's just, it's not to say that they're lying. That's just how the human brains work. Memory is fickle. And as a non-psychologist, that's the easiest way I can explain it. Okay. Don't number seven. This one is crucial. If you are a leader or boss out there, this one thing might actually help you prevent a ton of employee turnover. So this is a big one. Don't underestimate the value of recognizing others. This goes back to the not stealing credit thing, but it's more than that. It's not just when you have, you know, when you've done something that you're getting credit for. If there's somebody on your team who's working really hard, especially if you're the boss, take a second and tell them, 
that you appreciated. And actually for the corresponding do on this, do number seven is do recognize others often and in a way that actually speaks to their recognition language. So just like love languages from Gary Chapman, I believe that we all have ways that we like to be recognized. Some of us would absolutely rather crawl under a rock than be recognized publicly. Some of us want to be recognized publicly because that's actually the thing that makes us, you know, feel really, really good and that's okay. Some of us want to be recognized in the form of a gift, right? So like even like I was saying with that assistant, she brought me a coffee and that meant a lot. That wasn't a recognition thing, but that was really, really lovely of her to do. And that meant a lot to me. That made me feel like I was part of a team, even though I was the leader. And sometimes leaders can feel a bit lonely. So that was a super lovely thing for her to do. Similarly, you know, maybe you say, thank you for doing something. I'm going to get you a coffee today, or I'm going to get you um, something that might help, you know, in your day, what, whatever. Uh, another way to recognize people might just simply be by saying thank you. It might be by giving them a little bit more time off. Find ways that speak to that person's love language, for lack of a better term, so that you're making sure that your recognition is really landing with them and carrying as much meaning as it can. Because something I'm hearing a lot from a lot of people today, these days, is that they are not feeling valued and recognized in the workplace. So if you're not doing that, if you're not recognizing others and expressing your gratitude when they help you, then you're going to very quickly find yourself on the outskirts of the political game and kind of, you know, excluded from the group. So this one is key. Okay. Don't number nine, don't make people pick sides in an argument or discussion. Nothing is black or white. Like this day and age, there's all kinds of counter arguments. There's all kinds of things that we can think about, which sort of make something more persuasive or not. But if you are telling people, you know, if you're with him, you're against me kind of thing, then you're basically forming a divide in your office. And so this also goes along with like recruiting people to your side and kind of ganging your people up on one person. First of all, that's toxic. It's bullying and or called relational aggression or can be that way. I actually think I'm going to go back. I'm going to actually stand by that statement. I think that ganging people up on one person in an office is definitely bullying. But the other thing is that it doesn't make for a cohesive team. You're going to start to notice that you're not going to be reaching your goals as easily because people are going to be fractured. So instead, the do here is respect that even when opinions differ, everybody still needs to figure out a way to work together. And that means that if you're pitting one person against another, that's not going to happen. So remember, bring it back to what are we all here to do? What are we all here? What are we trying to achieve? What do we need to achieve as a team? And remember that problems can be separate from a person. And by the way, if you get people to pick sides, one thing I've noticed is that people will often go against you if you ask them to pick sides, because it's incredibly uncomfortable to be asked to pick a side in an argument. Don't number nine, don't play the short game and lose sight of the big picture. This one is key. And actually, if you've been on my link tree on social media, you'll see that I have a conflict playbook and the conflict playbook is meant to prevent just that. So what happens when something occurs in our life and we're not happy about it, whether it's a conflict, whether it's a perceived disagreement with somebody and we have a negative emotional experience, 
you literally stop looking at the big picture and all of a sudden you become fixated on the problem in front of you. And usually when you're in that kind of emotional state, the problem in front of you is a person. And do you know what happens? A lot of us act in a way that shoots us in the foot for later on. So maybe you act in a way, you act out of anger or something because you're just focusing on the problem ahead of you and you're not looking at the big picture. And maybe that fractures a relationship or maybe that makes it a lot harder for you to get what you want done. But Uh, There are a lot of people who've made decisions that might seem fine in the short term. You know, like I'm going to tell this person off, I'm going to call them out. But then they don't realize that actually from a big picture standpoint, they're going to need that person to be a team player later on. And maybe the thing they called them out about wasn't actually worth it. And so if you react by default in those situations, if you find your emotions are really taking you, taking over your ability to think logically, then that's something you might want to look at. Because again, people who are incredibly reactive such that they lose sight of the big picture and they're only focused on the very, very short term, rarely are they successful in careers, rarely do they progress, but they often find themselves on the outside of any group because it's just too inflammatory and also it's a bit dangerous for your goals. So instead, what I recommend is that you have a personal brand. And I work a lot with my clients on this because it is so incredibly important that they understand how they view themselves. They also understand how they want other people to view them. And they also understand what their goals are. And that will serve as your North Star. So when in doubt, you can go back and be like, how do I want people to think of me? What do I want people to think of me? Do I want them to think of me as somebody who doesn't stand for anything, so falls for everything? You know, do I want them to think of me as someone who's a flake and who, you know, will just go with the most popular argument of the day? Or do I want them to trust me? Do I want them to know that at the end of the day, I'm going to do what's best for the team. I'm going to do what's best for our goals. At the end of the day, I'm not going to get distracted by something that's a short-term issue, you know, short-term flavor of the day and lose sight of the goal. Or do I want them to think that I'm somebody who can get easily distracted and, you know, squirrel and totally lose sight of the big picture? So have that personal brand. And if you haven't developed it, do it because it is so helpful and it will serve as your North Star in those situations. Okay, don't number 10. Don't ignore conflict or get involved when it's not your fight and you have nothing to contribute. There are people out there who love a good fight and I don't really, I I have a theory that none of us really like confrontation when we are the ones who feel under threat, but there are some people out there who kind of like the power game of, you know, getting involved in a conflict, stirring the pot, you know, maybe turning up the temperature. But if it's not your fight, if you have nothing to contribute, if you're not in a position to mediate, or if you're not in a position to help everybody get to a common goal, then stay out of it. Don't get involved when it's not your fight. It's just not worth it. And again, a lot of times people who are magnets for drama don't get very far in workplaces because drama distracts you from the goal. And drama is a people problem. And people problems always end up being profit problems at the end of the day. And when there's profit problems, that's when people lose their jobs. So if there's a lot of drama around you, often what I've noticed is that people get a lot farther by not engaging in it if it's not their fight. So the flip side of that is show a willingness, if it is your fight, to work through differences. You know, if there's a misunderstanding, if there's a disagreement about something, show a willingness to own your part of it and work your way through it and have that be part of your personal brand. 
Like one of the things I was thinking about this this morning before I recorded this, one of the things that I think is always really helpful is to say to people, listen, if you ever hear anything about me or if I ever do anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, uneasy, or pisses you off, please come to me. I will always want to talk about it because at the end of the day, I care about our mutual respect and I care about us reaching our goals. And I also care about you as a human being. So yeah, come to me, talk to me. I will always want to figure something out. And sometimes it's purely just, a, you know, a difference, right? Like sometimes it's purely just, hey, you know what? Susanna likes pink highlighters and I like yellow. Well, okay, that's not that big a deal. We can carry on, right? Like maybe one time we buy pink highlighters and the next time we buy yellow and we flip back and forth, right? Like no biggie. It might just be a misunderstanding, right? Like Susanna thinks pink highlighters last longer. That's why she prefers them. And then if you come to me and you're like, there's no difference, great, no problem. That's a misunderstanding. I misunderstood that. We're good to go. Sometimes it's a full-on disagreement where it's like, listen, I like pink highlighters, you like yellow. We are never going to agree on this. So we can agree to disagree, but still work together because it's not that big a deal. But when it's those things and you don't show a willingness to work through them, that's when people are going to get a little bit dubious of you. They're not going to trust you. And similarly, if you ignore a conflict, you know, so this actually is the flip side of getting involved when it's not your fight. If it is your fight and you ignore it, one of the things that people will do is they will assume you don't care or they'll assume you're guilty. They'll assume something about you that is probably not correct. And those assumptions can grow legs of their own. And I've seen stories and I've talked to people who've said, you know, something happened. There was just like this thing where someone just didn't seem to like me one day and I ignored it. And then the whole thing just blew up. So don't ignore that. You know, I think I love cultures where there's a culture of um, honesty and transparency. And they encourage people to go to each other and say, Hey, look, I've noticed that things are a little bit off. Is everything okay? You know, because that shows that you care about the relationship and you care about the team. So don't ignore conflict. And if you're a leader, for God's sake, don't ignore conflict. Don't ignore conflict on your team. If it's there, if you're a leader, you may actually have a duty to get involved. You may have a duty to mediate and help people bridge those gaps that may have formed. So one of the things that I see, which is a big mistake with leaders and when it comes to office politics is ignoring the fact that conflict exists. And the other thing that you're going to want to know when it comes to office politics is that if you become aware that a conflict exists, that's also important data because you don't want to inadvertently insert yourself into it or inflame it. So don't ignore the fact that conflict is there. You know, keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on on your team and keep your finger on the pulse of how everybody is doing. And ultimately, I really believe that playing the office politics game effectively comes down to truly caring about other people and truly understanding that success is not a one-person show. Success involves a team. And so if your ego is kept in check, you're going to be totally fine when it comes to office politics. So there's a lot more don'ts and do's that I could share with you, but those were 10 that came to mind pretty much immediately when I sat down to think about this podcast. So if there are more do's and don'ts that you're like, can you talk about this? Shoot me an email and let me know. The other thing I want to tell you is that there are a lot of assholes in workplaces. And recently I've been talking a lot to people who are dealing with assholes in a workplace. And currently it is September 28th. I am going to be coming out with the course very, very soon. I have imaginatively called it the how to deal with assholes course. But if you are on my email list, you're going to get the first access to that course. And you're also going to get access to that course at the beta price while I'm still rolling it out. So if you're not already on my email list, you're going to want to get on there because I 
will not clog your spam folder for one thing. And also I make sure that any emails I send are emails that I would want to get. And I am picky when it comes to emails I want in my inbox. So that means those emails are going to be packed with value and you might even get exclusive access to things I develop, just like the how to deal with assholes course. So if you're not already on there, fix that right now and hop on my email list. I'll post the link in my show notes. So I hope you enjoyed those do's and don'ts. I'm sure I'll be back with more, but for now, I am Susanna Margison. Thank you for joining this podcast, and I really believe we are all subject to improvement, and you know what? We should celebrate those improvements. Have an awesome day, and I'll talk to you next time.